Welcome back to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Shelly Trujillo. Shelly knew Ethan before I met him, so she was part of a group of people I was introduced to as soon as we started performing together. She and her friend Caroline would come out to shows and watch Ethan play, and they would always bring a good time and positive vibes with them when they came. Now, I knew that Ethan and Shelly were friends, but it wasn't until this conversation that I learned just how close they were. I also had learned that Shelly was an actress soon after I met her because Ethan took me to watch her in a play one time. And I remember thinking that that was pretty cool because I did, I had a little bit of a theater background in high school and college. Shelly is still an actress today and uh, keeps busy out in Arizona, but she made some time to speak with me about Ethan. So here's my conversation with Shelly. I hope you enjoy it. Shelly, how are you doing? Chris, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, dude. Thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks for having me. Of course. I know that um, you played a significant role in Ethan's musical scene um, existence. And I know this because a lot of the shows that I played with Ethan or went to go see Ethan play at, uh, you were a regular cast of characters that would be there. You were part of that group of people. Um, And there were so many people that would come see Ethan because he was so charismatic and fun to watch, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and the other reason that I'm excited to talk to you today is because so far you're, you're my fifth interview and the first person who didn't necessarily perform with him, or maybe you did, we'll get into that later, but, um, musician who played on stage with him, because I know you as, you know, um, an actor on top Mm -hmm. of just a really cool person that was always fun to be around. So, um, Before we get into Ethan, um, for people that might know you that are listening to this, uh, give us a little update. Uh, What are you up to? I I know that on Facebook, I saw you uh, posting snow there for a little bit, and I know it's not snowing in Arizona, so (laughs) you've probably been up to some things. So what's going on with you nowadays? Yeah, so I actually, uh, I've lived all over, but the last couple of years, I... um, before the big Rona hit, I was living up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which you understand leaving, living in a desert and moving up to the tundra, quite a culture shock. Sure. Woo. Right. A little extra, but, um, yeah, I was transferred there for my job. I worked for the same company for about 10 years. And then, um, I relocated back to Arizona during the pandemic. It was, scary and, you know, living far away and having no family, I just decided that it was the right thing to do for me to come back because, you know, for me, I, um, I'm a a caretaker for my parents. So you lose time. And it's, uh, one of those things that's just a finite amount of time you have with your family. So I didn't want to waste any more time. I came back to Arizona. Um, when I got back to Arizona, I was asked to perform in an immersive theater production at TheaterWorks in Peoria, Arizona. And we were trying to create art during the most 
suffocating time. And so we were able to create this magic called Curiouser and Curiouser. And it was an immersive theater experience um, where it was based on Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. And you got led through the Air Performing Arts Center by a white rabbit. You got to a tea party. You got to see the whole thing. And I ended up being Tweedledee. And I played that role for about two years on and off, um, 195 shows total. So that's that's wow. what I've been doing and working, you know. Easy very, stuff. very cool. I wish I could have seen that show. That sounds pretty trippy. It's awesome. Yeah. It was trippy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a word for it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I guess the best place to start is with uh, the, you know, the, your, the beginning of your journey with Ethan. Um, do you remember how you met him? Oh, yes. So... He was playing up in North Scottsdale at a bar. And I can't remember what the bar was, but he, it was a restaurant bar. And um, myself and Caroline had gone up to the bar to see one of my friend's brothers. He was barbacking. So he was new. He was trying to become a bartender. And we're like, yeah, listen, we'll go support you. And Ethan and Todd were playing um, an acoustic set. It was like a Sunday early evening, afternoon, what have you. And uh, Caroline and I were just having our snacks, having our drinks. And we turned around and kept listening to these guys. I'm like, dang, these guys are good. Like they're amazing. And we just started watching them. And in true Ethan style, he just came over and he was like, hey, <laughs> we we're like, hey, how's it going? And we were kind of gushing because they're just, he was just an incredible musician. And you just know when you meet somebody who is just something special, there's just a magic about them. And Ethan had that. And so uh, it just kind of sparked off a friendship. He asked us, you know, basically what we were doing there. Um, we talked about our love of music. I talked about the fact that I was a performer and uh, he had us come up and sit in and sing some songs with him. And it was just kind of like love at first sight, if you will. I just was like, man, what, who is this person? Um, and then we just started hanging out on the reg, right? We started, he told us about, well, this is even a better story. He told us about Tate, right? Because that's where they were in, in the band Tate. Turns out, Tony King, who is the drummer of Tate, is actually a Mexican cousin. We won't say we're blood related, but our families are intertwined generationally. And so I walked up and I'm like, Tony? And he was like, what are you doing here? And it ended up turning to this whole like, okay, well, we're supposed to hang out with these guys. We're supposed to be a part of it. And I love the fact that we, um, we were never groupies. There are groupies. There's always going to be groupies with any musician or performer, what have you. But I really felt like we were friends. Like it wasn't just see you at a show. It was, we would have dinner. He lived down the street from my mom's house. So like it was, we were in the same neighborhood. It just Ah, it was magic. So that was the beginning of magic, watching him play guitar with Todd and be Ethan and just make friends wherever he goes. Awesome. That sounds like a great way to meet him, you know, and it, and it sounds like a typical way to meet Ethan. You know, he just kind of stepped into <laughs> your life. And yeah, you, you're right, though. What you were saying is that you can tell right away that he's a special person. I mentioned on one of my other mm -hmm. episodes about how I was too intimidated to talk to him the first time I saw him play because I thought there's no way this guy's going to play with me, you know, and um, mm -hmm. I couldn't have been more wrong. I mean, he was just so kind and generous. And he hits, 
it was his, it's the heartbeat. That was his heartbeat is just music and life and enjoying life and just being in that moment. It was one of the most amazing things about Ethan. And I don't know that I've really ever encountered anyone else with that same sort of in the moment, just, just happy, just beautiful, just could see things in such a different way. And, and if you had a chance to look through his eyes, which he would take you on any journey you'd go with him on. I mean, it, whether it was a story, whether it was a jam session at his house, whether it was a show, whatever it may be, just having that time with him is just, was just something it's beyond. I don't know that we'll ever, I don't know that I'll ever know anybody that special, but people will come close, but no one will ever, ever be as special as Ethan ever. And I remember when you were coming on the scene and he was hanging out with you and he was so, so like, so excited about you. So excited about your music. So excited about your vibe, excited about it all. Like he, I just remember his, like, it was palpable. And then when we first saw you, you, I don't know where we were. I don't know if it was Wrigley. I don't know where we were, but I remember you coming on stage and you were just like, you were in it and it was so good. And he was just cheering you on, like, hmm. just like a proud Papa almost it's like, like watching you. Like, that's my dude. Like, that's my dude. I'm like, yes, you're all into it. So good. Oh man. That's so cool to hear. Um, Cause he would tell me that, you know, but you never know if, if that's mm -hmm. something, I mean, I know as the years go on that he was very genuine and I know now that he didn't say something unless he meant it. You know, it was because of him that I was so confident because he, he was like a security blanket <laughs> of sorts, you know, Yes. Uh, it, when I was on the stage, I didn't worry with him. I didn't worry about making a mistake or mucking up anything because I know that if I did, he'd come to the rescue right away. <laughs> which he did many times. Man, that man could cover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he could cover. That man could cover in any, like, like, how do you, how do you do, how do you do that? He just could cover. He knew, he saw. And I, I think it's because he felt, he just, again, was in that moment and was feeling it and was just connected, just connected on so many levels with everyone he was with that he just, he couldn't help it, but catch it. But man, yeah, y'all made magic. It was, it was pretty rad. Oh, thanks, dude. I appreciate it. And you saw him play so many times. I mean, you must have seen him rescue lots of songs over the years or just make things Tons. up on the spot. You know, he was so good at that, too. Or faking songs. That, or... He was. <laughs> and he was so witty. Was, you could watch him, though. Yeah. You would watch him kind of like. He, and he would be honest about it. He'd be like, I don't know that one, but hold on. And it, within seconds, he would have it figured out. And then he'd make up his own words or if he forgot the words, he would just lean into it. He didn't try to hide it. He just, he just was what he was. And it, I think that's what made us all just love him so much. It's like, man, not only are you an incredible artist, an incredible musician, <laughs> you're just funny. Like, he's just a good dude. Like, insane. Yeah. it was great. That is so true, man. And, and it's funny, too, because that's that's a musician's worst nightmare. You know, you get up on stage and you freeze, mm -hmm. or you forget something. And a, and a lot of people and it's happened to me, you know, where you just you forget something or you, or you miss something. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> they're going to see behind the curtain now. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> that was definitely something that he taught me 
you know, just to be cool about that stuff. And you did see him perform a lot. And what was your favorite incantation of Ethan projects that you liked? That is, uh, you know, I, I will say that I think like Tate always has a special place in my heart. I think during those years, it was a formidable time for a lot of us. Yeah. And it's like, we knew the schedule, we knew we were going to be at Flicka's or we knew, you know, wherever, you know, Wrigley, God, when, when they started playing Wrigley, like I was, I loved it. I just loved that so much. And what I loved most is Tate was so accessible to so many people to the point of my dad would come to Flicka's and hang out. He was, my dad loves music, loves music. And that's where, where we get it from. My brother and I get it from, but even my brother would come and he didn't even like, you know, he, he didn't like live music. Like he's, he didn't like crowds, but he would show up at Flicka's. My dad would come to Flicka's. My dad was, my dad was so in love with Ethan. Cause he was like that guy, that guy. I'm like, yeah, you both are Leo's. That's why. And he would be like, yeah, that's why. And he was so proud of Tony, but like the whole vibe of Tate, the people I've met lifelong friends, um, from, you know, going to shows and hanging out. And it's still a point of conversation for many of us. Like, you remember when you were at Flickers? Remember when we saw Tate X, Y, and Z place? Like it was such a, to me, it was such a, it was such an important time. And the group of people that we were surrounded with were, were, I mean, it was, they made a huge impact in my life for sure. But I would say Tate, probably Tate. With your story about how you met him, where you got up to sing with him. And I remember now um, seeing you at some point singing with him. And I, I know that you sing because you do, you also do, well, you do musical theater as well, right? In addition to mm-hmm. non-musical theater. And Correct. so that first time you met him, you got up and sang with him. Were you ever involved in any kind of creative projects with him? Did he help out with any kind of? Yes theater stuff. Oh, I, I, I don't know this part of, of his. Uh, <laughs> he was, uh, we didn't. So he was almost like, um, like a musical advisor. So there were many times when, you know, theater and live music cross in so many ways that it, people probably just don't think about it, but there would be things where I'd have scores or I'd need somebody Hey, I need a guitarist. Hey, I need, a, you know, a, somebody who plays sax. I need somebody who does it for my pit. Do you have anybody? Do you know anybody? And it was every time I went to him, I knew, I knew he was going to give me a name of somebody who he trusted, he worked with. And we were able to pull people into shows or get them in connected with another musician. And so at that point, that's when I would start to tell everybody, I'm like, he's, he's the heartbeat of, of of Arizona. Like he's a heartbeat of this music scene here. Cause he knows everybody. He he's worked with everybody. He's ch- like, everyone loves it. So he would help me get musicians. He would go over music with me. He would help me in any way he could, if I asked for it. Right. But a lot of it was just referencing, Hey, do you have somebody for me? Yeah. Go call this person. But he would also pull me into other projects that he was helping with. So I did some background vocals for a couple of artists. I would, you know, if I needed to lay a track, a studio track, I would just come in and do it. 
do my thing. And he was helping me understand my, my value and my worth as a musician versus just being a musical theater kid or just being someone who does theater. He was like, no girl, you can sing. Like, do you not see that? And for me, I didn't because I was just so classically trained and musical theater. Tra- I didn't even think about it. And he was like, um, you need to lean into this. Like you need to just sing some Melissa Etheridge. Let's see what happens. And it was kind of that he kind of just opened my eyes to the fact that I didn't have to be pigeonholed. I wasn't just kind of a, you know, one trick pony. He was like, you've got pipes, just do it. You can do it. You can do it. And it was jam sessions at his house, you know, like shows over bars closed. We're all like starving. Let's go grab a bite, grab some you know, chicken nogies from McDonald's and head over to Ethan's and just jam. And it's like in the living room and just sing the Beatles. Our whole thing is we had such a connection over the Beatles, obviously. So we would sing like Abbey Road and like till the sun came up, like just didn't wow. sing. How fun, dude. I wish you had recordings of that. I, I wish we did. Sometimes I think we did, but I'm like, you know what? We're all old. We lost it. I <laughs> don't know where we left our glasses today. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, if there had been like a camera or a recording device in his living room in general? I mean, oh, my God, so many, so many musicians and artists and jam session, late night jam sessions happened in his house. Um, I recorded one of my albums. If those walls could see. Right. Right. Oh, man. I forgot about that. If only, um, if only, you know, we were talking earlier about how he could save any song. And, um, that is something that I took, took from him. And, you know, not only was it just, it just felt good to be around Ethan just to be in his circle. Um, but it, it was almost as if, uh, Alan chat or Mike Mercer said it best when he said that Ethan had a teacher's soul, you know, he wasn't, mm-hmm. um, Doling out mm-hmm. lessons necessarily, but you always learn something from him just being around him and watching how he interacted with people and stuff. And can you think of any um, lasting influences or lessons that you learned from him, whether musically or in your personal life? Oh, oh my gosh. I would say there's a couple. Um, musically, it's the flexibility. Just don't be afraid right? You're up there. Enjoy it. Enjoy what you're doing. This is what you love. Just, just enjoy it. And so that made him flexible, that made him adaptable and that made him lovable. That made him so just so much fun to watch. I mean, just insane. Um, I keep saying the word insane. I think it's cause I, I don't, there's no other way to describe it. Like the power and the energy that is Ethan Newman is something that's unexplainable. Um, I think personally, I would say um, it's the same lesson. I think the biggest thing for me with Ethan is he, I believed him when he believed in me and I didn't. So as, as a musician, as an artist, as a human, as a woman, as a Latina, whatever, whatever, right? So many things. I did not believe in myself. I had imposter syndrome nine times out of 10. I didn't believe I was either worthy or I, you know, didn't believe I was good, what have you. And he did. 
And so when he would see that self-doubt and it wasn't just about music, I mean, work, it would friendships, relationships, whatever. He was a trusted person for me. I mean, I, I was pretty, I was pretty close to him for a good, good chunk of time where, I mean, we would talk every day. We would see each other, you know, if not at a gig, at least once a week. And he believed in me and he, he liked me for who I was. It wasn't because I was friends with such and such, or because I showed up at his shows. He genuinely liked me and I believed him. And so when he had faith in me, I was like, wait a minute, this dude's insanely talented. He's amazing. He's a beautiful human. He sees something in me. You need to take a step back, girl, look in the mirror, see what he sees. And I did. And I was like, I am a good singer. <laughs> like, I can do more than just a musical theater. There's so much more. Like, and I, I just kind of came out of my shell. And yeah, he just was always so good. And also to um, never be afraid to speak your mind about politics. <laughs> he was yeah. never, never afraid. <laughs> I know, dude. He was, and he always made sense. You know, that was one thing I was thinking about because, you know, Politics is such a hot topic and a, it's a button for mm-hmm. people. People get so triggered nowadays um, on both sides of, uh, I don't know, whichever team you're playing for, I suppose. And I wondered when I started this podcast, if any of that kind of stuff would come up. And I, I'm kind of trying to avoid it, honestly, but it's true. You know, mm-hmm. like he was very vocal about, you know, how he, how he felt about, um, the world and and the, and the country and that kind of thing and he didn't hide hide it but you know something that was unique about him that i noticed was even if he didn't agree with people uh he was still very respect respectful even though yeah you couldn't outwit him i mean you know i i mean there were shows where right. like i remember one time i went to go see him play what's the name of that outdoor mall like far up north desert ridge Desert Ridge. He was playing at yeah. Desert Ridge with Todd. And uh, George Bush was president at the time. This is like 2006 or seven. And um, he was just, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was just giving George Bush a hard time. And there was this guy who came up <laughs> to the stage and was like irate about it you know, you got to support the president, this and this and this and that. And Ethan looks at him and then he just did that big, huge laugh that he does, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, and he asked the guy a question and the guy gave him an answer. And his response to him was so, it was disarming. First of all, it didn't lead into any kind of like further conflict with the person, but it just pointed out how silly that the guy was being without, without being demeaning about it. You know, he just had a very smooth yeah. way of doing that kind of thing. <laughs> oh, he could, yeah, he could melt anyone's heart, but it did, You, it, it was respect. I mean, he respected people for who they, even if he didn't agree, but he just knew like, and he could get his point across and he was just so damn charming about it. You couldn't help it. Like, I've never known anyone to read the Patriot Act top to bottom. <laughs> to go on a date with a girl and he did that (laughs) yeah i remember talking about him with about the patriot act with him actually well you mentioned earlier how 
you know, I mean, I knew that you guys were close, but it's not like you and I ever sat down before and talked about this kind of thing. But you had mentioned earlier how he was a huge part of your life. And that kind of leads me to my next question, which is, you know, did he ever help you with any struggles that you were having in your life or give you good advice? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he did. Uh, Gosh, I don't even know if I could name the times, but I can tell you. So in those times, in the times of Tate, in the times of, you know, 2000s, (laughs) the early 2000s, you know, 2010, whatever, whatever time it was, early 2000s, 2000s, um, I was struggling very silently with some mental health issues. So I was struggling with um, undiagnosed bipolar disorder, anxiety, um, the whole gamut, right? And so um, I didn't, there were times where I was just in a hole that I couldn't get out of. I just couldn't get out of it. And the thing that would get me is I knew where he was. I knew where he was performing. I knew where he lived, all of those things. And I knew that I could show up at his house, no questions asked, no questions asked. And I did. There were times that I just was like, I'm not in a good headspace. And he'd be like, come over. And we would sit and we would watch stupid movies and we'd talk about nothing. And he would, you know, we would play music and we would just talk. And it was just so calming, just so calming. Like, and it was nothing. Like I was, it was always, and I think I'm, I'm, I feel very blessed to be able to say truly, he was a good, very good friend, almost like a brother to me, where it was always platonic and he was always looking out for me. I think you could see he's like, God, this, this girl's a little naive, right? I was a little sheltered and, and he did his best to look out for me. Um, and so there are many moments like that where I just, maybe I couldn't, I couldn't see out of the, I just couldn't see out of the darkness. I couldn't get myself out of my own funk. I was overcomplicating things in my own head because, you know, bipolar and bipolar disorder is a bitch on its own, but then you throw depression on top of that. And he just never let go. He just never let go. And when I finally got back on my feet, I got diagnosed. I was, you know, finally got the right meds. And I told him what was going on. And he was like, I'm, pr- I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for talking about it. Don't hide. Don't be ashamed. It doesn't mean that you're different. It doesn't mean that you're any less. It's just what you have to live with. So it's all right. I mean, he was just very matter of fact about it. And I was like, you're right. (laughs) If I, you know, had diabetes, it's the same damn thing. Like, don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. And so there are many moments like that, that really kind of changed the course of my life. And then I got on my feet and I moved to Sacramento. I just, I just kind of was like, listen, I need to start over. I have an opportunity with my job to move. Let's do it. And we still stayed in contact on social media and, and, you know, life's changed and it was fine. But anytime I was home, I would check in with him and be like, Hey, how you doing? And he's like, girl, I'm proud of you. I'm happy for you. He's like, I miss you. I love you. You know, and anytime I spoke with him, anytime it was always, I love you. I love you, girl. I love you. 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 I love you, man. I love you. I love you. It just, and it was genuine. And I would call him Ephraim. I never called him Ethan. I called him Ephraim for no reason at all. Probably in, in some stupid dancing at Flickas, whatever. Hey, Ephraim, whatever I did. But I would be like, Ephraim, I love you. And he's like, I love you too, Shells. Or I love you, Shells. I'm like, I love you too, Ephraim, you know? So it's just, it, that's kind of the long lasting, you know, effect he had. 
I just knew he loved me and I knew that was enough. And I knew that I could find him if I needed him. He was so good at that dude, letting you know how much he loved you, you know? And, and, and speaking of that, like you, you spent a lot of time around him. What did you notice about how he treated other people? Oh my gosh. He just, again, was genuine. You know, and, it, and it, I won't say that I'm not going to color it like he was just so perfect. He loved everybody. He didn't. He, he didn't. And there were people that he was not fond of, but it didn't have to be this thing full of drama. Like he just wasn't into drama. He just wanted to have a good time. And so he gave you a chance to hear you out, to see you. He, he, but he trusted his instincts. Sometimes he would ignore them. <laughs> because the feeling or whatever it was, was enough of a draw. Like, it's okay. I'm going to ignore these red flags. I'm going to keep going. Cause he just wanted to know and be ingrained in people's lives and be a part of someone else. He just wanted to be a part of it. Um, but when he would make his mistake, right. Misjudging somebody or, you know, being like, Oh, that was a, that, that's a hard pass. He would just own it and then back away. He didn't have to make it this huge, you know, dramatic walk away and public berating of someone. He just, if it didn't work, he'd back out, but he was always just, he, there was no reason for him to not trust you unless you gave him a reason to not trust you. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Very genuine. Genuine is a word that is a common theme so far in these episodes. Um, (laughs) And I think because a lot of people just aren't, you know, so, you know, if someone were to say to you who didn't know Ethan, you know, what was the big deal with Ethan? You know, why, why is this guy starting a podcast? How come so many people miss him so much? You know, how would you describe Ethan to someone who didn't know him? Magic. (laughs) He's magic. I would say, you know, to explain my friend, to explain somebody to somebody who never had the opportunity to meet our friend is to literally look at someone and meet someone who is just authentically themselves, who is just unabashedly full of love and is not afraid to share that love with other people, to be able to speak in everyone's language, because he's an artist, he's a musician. Mm -hmm. If you, if you didn't feel something like by speaking with him, when you heard him play, when you watched him play, when you watched him perform and just get into that zone and be so grounded, it's, it's magic. I, I feel so lucky to have had the time that I had with him. And I feel so lucky that during those very formidable years, right, your early 20s, he was a constant. And so I have that as the background and the backdrop to those memories. Listen, it sucks that he's gone. It's the, it sucks. It sucks. But he'd be so pissed if we sat in that. He'd be like, why? Stop, stop. Mm -hmm. Think about the good times that we had. Think about my life. Don't let my life be defined about how I left this planet. Let the life be defined on how I lived it. Wow. Yeah, dude. It's true. That's Ethan. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good description. You did did a great job with that one. (laughs) 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 
he'd be proud. He'd be proud. He'd be like, all right, girl, you did it. <laughs> he is proud. He is proud. I know he's with us. Like there are times that I just almost see him out of the corner of my eye. Like I just, or I'll hear something if I'm listening to something, some piece of music and I hear an insane bass line. I'll always, I, it's almost like I hear him being like, yeah, I heard it too. Yeah, I'm here. I heard it. I just know he's there. I believe it. Yeah. I have the same experiences. You know, my favorite part, my favorite part of this so far, and I'm excited because I have a lot more people that I'm going to talk to, but um, my favorite part of it all in general is just hearing Ethan's stories, stories outside of my memories of him. I mean, I'm like, I'm smiling ear to ear here. I think my favorite Ethan story, it's not necessarily specific to me because I have too many of them. I couldn't even tell you, but my favorite moment, I think my favorite moment is the first time I got to see Ethan and Brad, the dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I saw, I mean, his love for his parents. Yeah, he loved his mama. He loved performing with Brad the dad. Like he just, it was reverse. It was like Ethan was a proud papa, right? Watching his watching his dad get on stage and watching the girls scream for Brad the dad. And we would, we would just go over the top just to make it even more screechy and loud and like, oh, Brad the dad. <laughs> we would get into it and he would just flash us a smile and Ethan would be like crying, like laughing so hard. He'd be crying. He's like, Jesus Christ, guys, like, come on. And it was just so to me, like anytime Brad, the dad showed up on the scene, Brad, the dad was coming to play like <laughs> time Ethan and Brad were on stage together. My friend, like I just, it just gave me so much joy to watch because it was just so much fun. I mean, that, I mean, they, like father, like son. <laughs> yeah. Brad's Brad the dad. He's the character. I met him a couple times. Love it. But I never got to see him perform. I've seen plenty of pictures and a couple little video snips here and there. Oh but So I good. Bet, so good. it was a trip it was a trip and you know what it's like it's burned in my mind like in such a great great way like they're just two goofballs who love music and they loved playing and like Ethan just loved watching his dad soak up all the girls screaming for I mean we all hammed it up like it was so good so good do you remember any of the last times you saw him or had conversations with him do you remember what those were yeah the last um the last conversation I had had with him is actually when I got back here to Phoenix when I came back to Tempe from Milwaukee so that was in 2020 and um there was a period of time before that where um, I think it was just kind of a dark time for everybody. And so we had really kind of lost direct contact. We still followed each other on socials and all that stuff. So I knew what was going on in his life to an extent. Um, but when I came back, I reached out because I, again, I was um, 
back in the old hood, right back in South Tempe. And I was like, Hey, I'm back. And, uh, there was just a whole thread. It was just very much of, you know, I've been watching you. I I saw what you've done. I'm so proud of you. Look at, you know, look at all you've accomplished and I'm so glad you're back. I'm so glad you're back with your parents and, you know, you you deserve to be happy. They're important to you. I'm so happy you're safe. And, it was just very much a, I love you. I love you. Like time is finite, spend it wisely, you know? And it was such a, and that was kind of the last, I believe that's very much the last text we had. The last conversation we have is essentially time is finite. Like just, you know, tell people you love them. And I'm glad that you did the right thing and took care of yourself. If this is where you need to be, I'm glad you came home. I'm glad you're home. And, um, I'm like, Hey, once I feel comfortable, you know, once, once you're out again, I'm going to come sit in with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was really the last bout of conversations we had. And then, you know, um, it just got crazy. Like pandemic got crazy. Everyone's time got crazy. And then the next thing you know, I'm getting a phone call from a friend to let me know that he had passed away and such a, just. I didn't, I didn't know that you can get the wind knocked out of you not being touched. I didn't think that was possible. I really didn't. And it did. And I, and it was like, that was a slow burn. Like it was like a shock. And then it was like, what? And then it just, it's still hard to talk about him, but I just feel like we, we have to, like the world needs to know about Ethan freaking Newman. (laughs) Like he needs to know the world needs to know that we are all lucky and better for knowing him. The world needs to know. <laughs> He's just a really the world spe- needs to know. Really special person. An incredibly special person. And look at us. We're all still tied together in some way, shape, or form. You know, like that's a damn legacy. It is. It is. And he always introduced me to the coolest people because of him I'm going to be and I look forward to be getting to know more people that knew him and loved him as well I think it's again it's a legacy what I found interesting is after he passed you know everyone's posting on social media and people I was doing shows with I did improv they were like wait I didn't know that you knew him I'm like I didn't know that you knew him and then we told stories and it was just these people from like you say, like, maybe I don't know you directly, but we're ingrained in some parts of our lives to everyone kind of having these conversations and, you know, any sort of things that may have been, you know, from the past and just drop them. It's not worth it. I mean, a lot of things, just a lot of maybe old traumas were, I mean, the minute we all knew that he wasn't here anymore, we all were like, you know what, we're done. Like, it's not worth it. He would not want us to all be angry. He would not want us to fight. He would want us all to just be cool, man. Like, it's all right. Be chill. You'll be all right. Like, and it's again, just an incredible legacy to leave behind. And we're all, we all get to bask in it. I think it's pretty cool. I do too. You know, there was a question I meant to ask earlier in our conversation, and I think it would have fit better earlier in our conversation, but I want to ask you anyways, because I'm always curious about this. Um, You know, I wasn't a Beatles guy when I met Ethan and he fixed that right away, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) 
he turned me on to so many good books and music and movies and just pop culture in general, you know, and it was so mm-hmm. fun. The first couple times I went to his house when I saw all those CDs he owned, I mean, <laughs> do you remember that? It was like thousands, thousands of CDs. I know. And everything you could, well, you know, the one thing that impressed me the most was he was hip on Mexican rock music. And he, yes, had, he was. He had all of those albums that I had as a kid growing up, you know, right next to Mexico. And and he didn't mm-hmm. just have the CDs, like he knew them and he would sing that he knew the lyrics even in yeah. Spanish, you know. And I think that's where he learned some of his Spanish. Mm-hmm. His Spanish was so cute when he would, you know, he would talk to me in <laughs> Spanish and his tenses and verbs and everything was always off, but it but he could speak Spanish. <laughs> But so my but my question yeah, to you is no. like did he t- did he do the same to you like did he turn you on to any new music or books or movies or anything cool Mastodon Yeah <laughs> Yeah Mastodon's awesome Hands down Mastodon yeah I didn't cuz that wasn't in my in my wheelhouse right like we bonded over my all my, I had an obsession with the Beatles from when I was in high school. And so when I came to the table and I was like, well, what about this deep cut? And he was like, wait a minute, what? And we would talk about music and, you know, we, we both loved Abbey Road. We would talk about it, but when he started getting into it and he was just like, you need to listen to Mastodon. I was like, what? (laughs) Is that a dinosaur? He's like, girl, please come on. (laughs) And, and we would just, he would just make me listen to, and he would just, like the look on his face when he was showing you something that a you didn't know and b he loved uh like a kid on christmas like so good but for it was mastodon for damn sure <laughs> yeah i knew about mastodon and i had seen them at coachella um but it wasn't like i had any of their albums or anything you know and just mm-hmm. like with the beatles he was like dude you got to listen, you know, listen to this song, this particular song or in it before I knew it, I had their albums and I was way into them as well. And he knew, and we, yeah. we both shared a love of like metal, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was really cool. Dude, I just, you know, I appreciate the time that you've given me and just taking time out of your schedule to talk with me, just like I do anyone who's willing to do it. Um, but, you know, I have one more question for you, and then I'll let you go for the evening. If you had if you had the chance to have one last conversation with Ethan, what do you think you would say to him? Oh, that's a deep one, bro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been hitting Honestly. people over the head with that one. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If I, if I had the opportunity to have one last conversation from here or from the beyond, it doesn't really matter. I would just, ah, oh, this is rough. The question would be, is do you know how much we all love you? Do you know how loved you are? And I think, I think I could easily say, yes, I think he knows, but I just want to make sure he can feel us all lift him up and I feel like I just 
I just want to make sure he knows, you know, I can make the assumption, but I would just love to have one more last conversation to thank him for the time and to thank him for the love he gave us and to thank him for always, always, always being authentic. And I just want to make sure he knows how much we all love him. That's a good one. It's a good one. You wonder sometimes because he was so modest, you know, and there were were so many times where I would be like, Oh, Ethan, you're awesome, man. You know, thank you. And he'd be like, no, man, you're the awesome one. You know, he would always, he would always deflect, deflect. And I mean, I'd like to think that he knew, I'm sure he knew, but you wonder sometimes, you know, cause he didn't like, yeah. He wanted you to know that you were special. His love language. Yeah. His love language was acts of love, right? That for him, it was, I need to make sure that, you know, I love you. I want to play this song because I want you to feel the love I feel. I want to pull you on stage because I love watching you sing. I love watching you perform. I want to help you. I want to do these things for you because that is who he was very selfless. And he was very much a lover. I mean, not a, like, you know, Don Juan, but like he was a lover. He was just a very sensitive little being wrapped up in a, in a badass, you know, rock star. Body. <laughs> but he was, he was such a sensitive, emotional empath. He was just an empath and he felt everything so vividly and he loved and he loved fully. And whether or not he was romantically involved with you, whether or not you were his family or his family of choice, he wanted to make sure that you knew you never left a room or a conversation, not knowing he didn't love you. He didn't give you that option. (laughs) Like He's going to love bomb the shit out of you, but he wanted to make sure that you knew how important you were to him. And that's a gift. That's a gift. So in the days where it's hard, in the days I think about him and I, you know, it just, it hits really hard. I'm like, but I was lucky, like to be loved by someone like Ethan, I'm good. Like I'm good. If I never experience any more love in the rest of my life, which I will, of course, but if I don't, I had that and that it's pretty good. I'm pretty lucky. We all are. Absolutely. Ethan was always about um, helping his friends promote their projects and creative endeavors. I mean, he was always telling me, hey, have you heard of this guy? Check him out. Or this girl's an awesome (laughs) Check him out. So in that tradition, you know, do you have any plugs or information you'd like to share about what you're up to creatively so that people can be a part of it. And, and keep in mind that I'm going to be releasing these starting in September. So I, your episode will, will probably air at the beginning of October. What, do, you, do you have anything oh. you'd like to share that you're up to? Potentially. So I have been doing a lot of voiceover work. Um, for a couple of podcasts. Um, let me, yeah. So one of them, <laughs> I always get the name wrong. Is it terrible? As a voice actor, you probably should know what you're doing. And I just don't get words right ever. 
Um, it is called the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate. And it is a podcast that you can find on all platforms, which is very exciting. Um, and there's another podcast that is a secret, so I can't quite tell you yet, but I, as it gets closer to launch time, I will tell you what that is, but it's within the same genre. Um, so I do multiple voices. I do voiceover work for that. I've been, uh, out on the scene auditioning for some shows. So potentially doing some, uh, theater work here at theater works in Peoria. Uh, with Matilda the musical. So we'll see if that pans out. And uh, improv, man, lots of improv, lots of musical improv. It's my jam. That's awesome. You know, and as when as October gets closer, if there's anything else that you're up to, let me know and I'll add it to my, um, my little dialogue that I do at, at the beginning of the show. Yes, I will do that. Oh, I will do that. Absolutely. I'll be doing some sort of show. I just don't know which because <laughs> you audition for 10 and you get one. So there you go. It was so awesome talking to you tonight. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. It was so good to talk to you. It was so nice to tell the stories of Ethan. I just feel, I feel warm and fuzzy, man. And I'm so grateful that you're doing this because there's no one better. No one better to lead the church but you, my friend. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Take care, Shelly, and good luck with all your creative endeavors and just life in general. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Chris. Same to you. Bye. Hey, bye. So that was my talk with Shelly. Uh, it was a great conversation, and she shared some wonderful thoughts about Ethan. There is one part of our conversation, though, that I wish I had paused to ask her a little bit more about. And that was when she mentions that um, Ethan one time read the entire Patriot Act to go on a date. So luckily, after our interview, we continued talking for a while and I was still recording. So here's a clip of Shelly explaining that situation just a little bit more. I'm talking to Caroline soon. Yeah, I've got Caroline's. There you are? Yeah, like in uh, first week of August, I think we're going to, we have plans to talk. Awesome. So I'm excited uh, as well to hear, you know, her stories too. He's, that's who he read the Patriarch for. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. It would have been a lot for, I mean, maybe, I mean, who knows, maybe we circle back, but he was, yeah, he, he read the Patriot Act because she was being an asshole because he, you know, she, he was, it, he was into her. He came over to us because he was like, she's funny, me, but he was like, hey girl, <laughs> like Caroline. And she literally is like, sure. If you can read the entirety of the Patriot Act, I'll go out with you. And that fucker did it. He did it. <laughs> 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 and she she lived next door to me so i i had we had two condos and i lived in one and she lived in the other and yeah. she came over to my house and she was like girl i was like what she's like i'm going out with ethan i was like what i thought he had to read the patriot act she's like he did I was like, <laughs> okay. well shit yeah that was that was the crazy and that's how it all kind of started so they were flirty, flirty, but I was like, listen, I'm just the sidekick. I'm here to enjoy myself. So it turns out that Caroline was the mystery girl that Ethan uh, read the Patriot Act to go on a date with. 
And in a couple of weeks, I speak with Caroline, and I will definitely ask her about that so we can get her take on it. If you'd like to keep up with Shelly, she is on Facebook, and as I mentioned earlier, she's still acting nowadays. She is currently in a play called Ghosts of Bodega, and that is running at the Stray Cat Theater in Tempe, Arizona, starting today, September 30th through October 15th. Make sure you join me for the next episode where I will be speaking to Jay Poole, the lead guitar player for Ethan's band Delcoa. It's a great conversation and I hope you can make it back to listen. I'd like to leave you today with a song that reminds me of the era when Caroline and Shelley were showing up to shows. I had just met Ethan. We were out performing and having a good time. And uh, this song comes from our first album called Turn Off Your Television. And the name of the song is Body and Soul. Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon. Best friend I ever had